0: It's always a, a joy for Sharon and I to come over here to the Mount Pleasant Church. One of the main reasons is the friendliness of this church. Another reason you see right here, now I know these aren't real, but uh, traveling over uh, from Keene, you see a lot of them this time of year. So uh, it's just a, it's a joy just traveling over in Texas this time of year. Now last year this time, we didn't come because of COVID. Everything was shut down. Uh, But we did come in September. Uh, I don't know if maybe some of you remember. And uh, I was able to ask my sister, Lori, to come. Maybe some of you remember. And she was able to sing because they live in East Texas in Athens. She wasn't able to. I asked her. And it's for a very good reason and a very sweet reason. And that is she has a brand new grandson, Ethan, who lives down in Conroe. And his parents are teachers in that area. And so Lori's gone down to stay with Ethan, eight weeks old, uh, for a while. So she wasn't able to come. But she said she just loved this church and wished she could. But the grandson takes priority. So can we understand that? (laughs) Another enjoyable reason I, I like to come here is I can tell the veterans people in this church from the newbies. When I'm able to say that this is one of the few Adventist churches that once had a priest for a pastor. Now the older ones are, and some of them are going, what? What? (laughs) But uh, for the newer ones, uh, Alan Priest was pastor here many years ago, and he passed, but his wife Jean is still living. She just turned 90. Uh, And so I I wanted to bring greetings from the priest family. We just ran into a number of the priest family there at the park in Keene recently. Hey, speaking of interesting names for pastors, and I'm not making this up. This actually happened. Outside of Portland, Oregon, there's a little town called Boring. It's a little suburb of of Portland. And the little Adventist church there once got a new pastor by the name of Terry Dull. (laughs) So people could say, I'm going to the boring church to hear a dull sermon. (laughs) Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Lord, we know that your word is not dull. That it's interesting, it's exciting, and it's helpful to us, Lord. So as we open your word, open our minds and open our hearts to what you would have us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was growing up, I discovered I had a problem, and that was I wasn't growing up, at least as fast as I wanted to. My dad, being over six foot tall, the church ladies would come to me and say, are you going to be as tall as your daddy when you grow up? And I'd say, you betcha I am, I'm going to be taller. And I did, as many kids have often done, some of you likely have done, some of you are doing, and that is, I would back up against the wall, make a mark, put a date. And I was moving up the wall, but not near as fast as I wanted to. And by the time I was in the eighth grade, I was only five feet tall and the shortest person in the eighth grade. There were not only guys, but girls who towered over me. Some of them who picked me up and swing me around. I was kind of like the class mascot. That was bad enough until a new student entered our classroom and when he entered our classroom as it was a small school there at Dallas Junior Academy he had to duck to get in the door his name was Charles and he was 6 foot 8 now you might be thinking what what how how could someone 6 8 be in the 8th grade he was not only taller than your average 8th grader he was older he was 17 And as you might know, you shouldn't be 17 in the 8th grade. He had had some learning problems. His mother had sent him to several special schools, but decided she wanted to send him to Dallas Junior Academy. There, maybe he could learn better. Now, you would think that Charles and I would not get along, right? That we couldn't see eye to eye on anything. (laughs) But we got along great. We were kind of the class freaks. (laughs) I helped him with the math that he wasn't really good at and he helped protect me from those bullies that were always throwing me around. It's nice to have a friend who's six foot eight. <laughs> and sometimes I'd even say, Charles, could you give me a lift? You know what would do? He'd pick me up, put me up on his shoulders. Whoa, now I can see everybody. <laughs> They're shorter than me. Oh, it was wonderful. Charles and I used to go in gathering downtown Dallas. Some of you remember in gathering Um Anyway, we would go to, in those days, the main theaters were downtown. Long lines of people waiting to get into the theater there on Saturday night. And Charles and I would go together. Charles would speak first to the last person line. Would you like to give to the poor needy? Now, when someone six foot eight comes up to you and says, would you like to give to the poor and needy? All of a sudden you're, th- oh, I'm so worried about the poor and needy. Yes, let me put this. in. <laughs> and I'd get right up next to him and say, I'm for the poor and needy, too. <laughs> They'd drop money in my. Folks, sometimes we would really rake it in. Forty, fifty dollars each on a Saturday night. It- it's nice to have a friend six, eight. Some of you interested in sports might be thinking, what a dominant force in sports. On the basketball court, dunking the ball. Charles was not coordinated. He would be up there, not that far from the basket, throw it up, it wouldn't go in. In football, throw him up a pass, nobody could block it. Throw it up to him, fall off his chest. With me, I could generally catch the ball, I just couldn't see it. Because there were always taller people in my way, blocking my vision. One time we were on the same team over at the park across from the school. We were losing. We're back in the huddle. Our quarterback says, guys, we got a problem. Charles, you can see the ball, but you can't catch it. Benji, you can catch the ball, but you can't see it. So on this next play, I want you both to be the wide receiver. Charles, give Benji a lift like you're using to and put him up on your shoulders And five yards into the sidelines, I'll throw up the ball. Benji, catch it. Charles, don't try to catch it. Just hold on to Benji. (laughs) So we line up as the wide receiver. You should have seen the other team's faces. (laughs) But before they could say anything, the quarterback throws me up the ball. I can finally see the ball. I catch it. We make a nice gain, And they start yelling, foul, foul, you can't do this. We are doing this. It works. It's not done in the NFL. We don't care. It works. We're going to quit. You can't quit in the middle of the game. Oh, a big argument. We finally have to call our teacher, Mr. Nelson, to come over. And he looks up at Charles and he looks down at me. And he said something I'll never forget. He says, sometimes in life, Benji, when you're short, you stretch the rules of of a game. I think if you're going to catch the ball, catch it when you're running on your own feet. Foiled, And perhaps because he was short, he got in the habit of stretching the rules. There in school, there in Jericho, looking at other people's papers. And then he gets a job from Rome and talk about stretching the rules of the game. As the caravans would come through, Zacchaeus would say, The tax on that perfume is 60 shekels. How can it be 60 shekels? 60 shekels, pay it or it doesn't get through. Try arguing with the Internal Revenue Service. It doesn't work for the most part. They would pay it. But you see, Zacchaeus already had a salary from Rome. And now he's getting extra. And he's getting richer. And richer. And richer. And he moves into this palace of a home with a three chariot garage (laughs) things are going well (laughs) life is sweet except he's having a hard time living with himself he still had a conscience when I was a chaplain at Campion Academy up in Loveland Colorado I once had a student a young lady come into the office And she had a sack, and she plunked it down on my desk, and she said, this is for you. I said, well, thank you. In the sack was a box. I opened up the box. I looked at her. I said, I don't wear high heels. She says, well, I didn't figure you did, but you can give them to your wife. I said, well, how nice of you. What's the matter, your feet too big? She said, no, my feet aren't too big. It's, uh, it's how I got them. I said, how'd you get them? She said, we were on a town trip with the school van up at Fort Collins. I went into the shoe store, and, and that was the perfect shoes. They were the right color, the right model. I, I figured I just had to have them, but I didn't have enough money, so when no one looked... I stuck them into a bag, and she said, you know what? I got away with it. Nobody in the store knew. Nobody in the van knew. She says, my roommate doesn't know. The teacher, the the dean doesn't know. My parents don't know. She said, but I know, and I can't live with these shoes. So I'm giving them to your wife. I said, my wife, I don't think, wants stolen shoes. I said, have you thought of taking them back? She said, oh, yes. But she said, you know, I want to be a doctor someday. And if I get a record, I'll never make it. I just can't do that. I said, I think you need to take them back. She said, will you go with me? I said, well, you need a way to get up there. I guess I could take you up there. She said, will you do the talking? I said, you do the talking. You stole the shoes. She says, I'll go with you if you do the talking. Now she's going with me. (laughs) So we get in the car. And she's over there in the passenger side, just shaking. She's got this sacrifice. I said, calm down. You know, it's only 13 miles from Loveland up to Fort Collins. But she's just shaking. I said, calm down. It's going to be all right. So we went into the store, and she quickly heads over to the corner over here. She's just shaking. I went to the clerk. I said, ma'am, I'm working at a Christian school, and one of our students, in a, in a moment of weakness, took some shoes that, that didn't belong to her. She would like to bring them back. Can she do that? The lady says, what? What? She says, we've had people shoplift all the time. Nobody brings things back. I said, well, she'd like to make it right. Can she do that? The lady said, well, of course. I looked over at Tammy. (laughs) The lady took the shoes. She looked at Tammy and she said, young lady, that took a lot of courage. May the Lord bless you. You should have seen the smile on Tammy's face. Driving back to Loveland, only 13 miles. She's laughing. She's joking. The clouds have been lifted. She felt so good. Zacchaeus had come to the point in life where he wanted to make things right. He couldn't live with himself. Yes, he was rich, but he he needed someone to give him a lift. And perhaps through John the Baptist, who preached in that region... He heard about this man named Jesus. If only he could meet Jesus. So will you turn in your Bibles to Luke 19. Luke 19. And we'll read from verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1. I'm reading in the Revised Standard Version. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, folks, I'd like to like this to look at another lesson here that is sometimes overlooked. Jericho and passing through at the end of this passage. Verse the first 10 verses, verse 11 as they heard these things. Jesus proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. So, 3,300 feet between Jericho, one of the lowest cities in the world, and Jerusalem, where we next find Jesus. How did Jesus get from Jericho, 3,300 feet up, to Jerusalem? Helicopter? A ski chairlift? How did he get up there? He walked or hiked, we might call it. I don 't know if any of you ever have ever been on a thirty three hundred foot we have in Colorado. That's a good hike, folks. And here is a lesson that I think sometimes we overlook in Jesus life. One biblical es- expert has estimated as they look at all the journeys of Jesus in the New Testament, including the hills of Galilee, and we've been over there, these are major hills, some would call them mountains, that Jesus walked approximately 2,400 miles during his three and a half years of ministry. Think of that. He walked, and as he had this active lifestyle, do you think that made his mind clearer? the promptings of God in his ministry. So I think there's a real health lesson here that is sometimes overlooked. <laughs> he travels from, you, know, you just think Jer- Jericho to Jerusalem, just a few miles, that's 3,300 feet elevation gain. So I think there's a real lesson here. But there's also a lesson in Jesus' character and his example to us. And so let's look at verse two. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector And rich, (laughs) that's an underestimate here, and really rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not on account of the crowd, because he was small to stature. He sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd. The crowd got in the way. Could that happen to us? No matter what our height, letting the crowd get in the way instead of rising above the crowd to see Jesus. Could that happen to us? When I was a pastor in Florida, there was one elder in one of my churches. He had what another elder called the looky syndrome. What's that? Always looking at other people in the church rather than rising above that and looking at Jesus. He'd say, the lay activities leader, do you know what, what he was drinking when I saw him in, in town the other day? A Dr. Pepper. Do you know what the church clerk was wearing the other day? Do you know what I heard the church treasurer? Do you know what our pastor has said? Rather than looking at Jesus. and And folks, he finally resigned his office. He wanted it back later on. But... Looking at other people in the crowd. Folks, we can't do that. Yes, we all should be examples, but none of us are perfect examples of Jesus, are we? And we need to be careful about looking at other people in the crowd, whether it's the pastor, the conference president, the general conference president. We need to rise above the crowd. And Zacchaeus finally got to the point where he decided he needed to rise above the crowd. He was so short, the crowd got in the way. So he finds a tree. The Bible says a sycamore tree you think he needs a lift to get up in the tree? Possibly so. Our son, ever since he was little, loved to climb trees. And sometimes, it's, sometimes he could get him up himself. Sometimes he'd say, Daddy, I need a lift. And so I'd lift BJ up and he'd climb way up in the tree. Well, we don't know if Zacchaeus had somebody else give him a lift, but he finally was able to get up in the tree, climb up high into the tree, and now... He can see the procession coming closer and closer and closer. And this tall teacher from Nazareth coming there. And he looks up. You ever been a crowd of people where one person looks up? Try it sometime. Just for fun. Uh, one time our family was in New York City. We decided we were going to go up in the, New- uh, in the Empire State Building And we were on the sidewalk and before we went into the building, I was looking up. You know what happened? Somebody came up next to me and said, what's up there? (laughs) I said, I think it's the Empire State Building. (laughs) He said, no, what's up there? I said, I'm sure it's the Empire State Building. We're going to go up there. (laughs) So (laughs) Jesus looks up and what happens? All eyes look up, right? (laughs) Now all eyes are on Zacchaeus. Now, if ever Jesus Wanted to be a politician, this was the opportunity. He had this cheating tax collector up a tree, right? (laughs) Think of what he could have said. You slimy little shrimp, you conniving little crook, don't you know our taxes are high enough anyway? And you've been, you've been embezzling. I know what you've been doing. You ought to be cut down from that tree. You ought to be hung from that tree. Applause, applause. Everybody hates tax collectors, right? <laughs> Internal Revenue Service is not a favored institution. Everybody hates tax collectors. Jesus had him up a tree, and he could have let him have it, but he didn't. What would he do? He looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is thinking, how do he know my name? We've never been introduced. Zacchaeus, why don't you come on down? I'd like to go to your house today. At this point, the disciples' false teeth nearly fall out of their mouth. What? First harlots, lepers, children? Why doesn't Jesus watch out who he associates with? Why doesn't he worry about his latest gallop pole? Jesus wasn't concerned about his latest gallop poll. Jesus was concerned about sinners. And Zacchaeus... Maybe he got a physical lift up the tree, but he needed a spiritual lift, folks. And Jesus was the one to do it. And Zacchaeus comes down from that tree. And perhaps one of the more amusing sights in the Bible is the tall teacher from Nazareth and the little shrimp there cheating tax collector walking arm in arm to Zacchaeus' house. I believe Jesus is making mansions for us. But on this earth, this was probably one of the fanciest houses he was ever in, folks. I mean, talk about a mansion. And he goes into the house and Zacchaeus says, Mrs. Z, guess who's come to dinner? (laughs) I know it irritates Sharon. (laughs) Through the years, through the years... I'm working at a school, and I'll come across in the office a lonely, homesick student from Alaska, you know, and they really miss home. And I'll say, oh, why don't you come over for dinner tonight? And they say, oh, really? I can come to a home cooking? Whoa! (laughs) And I forget to tell Sharon. (laughs) So Bill shows up that evening, and and we're there at the door, and Sharon comes in, and I say, Sharon, this is Bill. (laughs) Sharon, Bill has come for dinner. (laughs) Bill has come for dinner. <laughs> oh, nice to see you, Bill. <laughs> We're going to talk about this later. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sharon makes a wonderful meal and Bill's so happy he came. Well, we don't, they didn't have cell phones in those days, right? So we have no indication that Zacchaeus could call Mrs. Z and, and tell her. So they walk into the house and she fixes the dinner. And Jesus has a nice talk with Zacchaeus. And Luke, bless his heart, he's the only gospel writer that records this incident, but he did it. What he didn't record was what was said. We don't know what was said. We do know the end of the conversation. It's in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, that is Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house Since he also is a son of Abraham. Today, salvation has come to this house because he is a son of Abraham. Let me ask you a theological question here. What if Zacchaeus had died of a heart attack before he got an opportunity to make anything right? Would he have been saved? I believe he would because Jesus said it. Today, salvation has come to this house. Jesus knew Zacchaeus' heart. But because of that saving grace, Zacchaeus is going around there in Jericho doing something really curious. You know what he's doing? He's going up to people and saying, Sir, that perfume that I charge you 60 shekels, the tax was only 30 shekels. And I have a salary from Rome and I pocketed 30 shekels myself. And I'd like to make it right. So I'd like to write you out a check for 120 shekels. The Bible says he made it right four times over. That's pretty good interest. hmm? Four times over. And half of all my goods I give to the poor. And we don't even know if it was tax deductible in those days. And yet he says... Half of all my goods I give to the poor. And people are thinking, what has gotten into Zacchaeus? It wasn't what had gotten into Zacchaeus. It was who had gotten into Zacchaeus. Jesus had come into his life, into his house, into his heart, and given him that spiritual lift that he needed. And that made all the difference. And because of Zacchaeus' testimony there in Jericho, he is giving other people spiritual lift, thinking, hey, there's hope for me too. There's hope for me too if I can just follow Jesus. My six-eight foot friend Charles. Whatever happened to him? Do you know Charles is still giving people lifts to this day, even though he died over 30 years ago? You see, Charles had a heart condition, and he knew it a serious heart condition. He knew he wouldn't live real long, he never married. Uh, He got a job at what in those days we'd call seminars now, uh, missionary tapes in those days. He got a job. He he didn't have a family to support, so he could save up his money. And he bought a house there in Keene. And when he died, he donated everything he had to a scholarship to go to theology students there at Southwestern. Because he knew that theology students can't get Texas grants like people in other majors. And he knew that he could help struggling young students wanting to be ministers. And there had been scores of them through the years. And it was a great honor for me at Southwestern, at the banquet they had each year when they had the awards winners for the various scholarships, that I could sit with, with the one that won the scholarship and say, you know, when I was a eighth grade, Charles gave me a lift, in a sense. And now Charles is still giving you a lift to help you through school. Lord, we, uh, the Lord knows we, we have been through some difficult times this last year, some real difficult times. People have lost their jobs. People have lost their their family members. People have lost their health. People have lost their friends who can't visit them in nursing homes. It's been a tough, tough time. There are a lot of people out there who need a lift. And perhaps they're in your neighborhood, your family, your school, at work. They need a lift. And the burden that uh, we need to have on our hearts is to draw nearer to Jesus each day so that the Lord can use us to give others a lift as he did to Zacchaeus. Let's pray. A Gracious Father in heaven, we're so thankful that um, Zacchaeus was able to rise above the crowd. Help us do that too, Lord. Help us not to be looking at other people in the crowd, but to rise, in, to rise above the crowd, to get a good, clear vision of Jesus, who he is, and then invite him into our homes, into our hearts, into, into our lives, so that, the Lord, you can use us to give others lifts that need it at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.